The Small Town Business Podcast is sponsored by Visit Gippsland, the land of many wonders. Head to visitgippsland.com.au to plan your trip. Whether it's walking and hiking or cycling or driving, camping, fishing, drinking and eating, you'll be exploring some of the most unforgettable destinations around. Head to their website or get inspired by their social media. All the links are in the show notes. Twenty years into my wine industry career, I had a pretty reasonable relationship with alcohol. My relationship changed with the product that I loved, and I started to self-medicate. Businesses get started every day for a huge range of reasons. Sometimes you see a gap in the market and figure out how you can fill it. Sometimes you need to work around your family or lifestyle. And sometimes personal circumstances or an experience you have helps you to shape an idea into reality. For Jason and Andy Quinn, it was kind of all of those things that led to the creation of Etch Sparkling, an alcohol-free, inclusive range of drinks that are delicious, but also really special for a lot of reasons. I'll let Jason tell you all about that. Firstly, though, I want to give a potential trigger warning. We do talk a little bit about alcohol and alcohol addiction, It's an important part of Jason's story. So in the show notes, I've put some relevant links to organisations that we mention and some others that may be able to help you. Now let's start with where they are, where Jason lives and works. We're from Mount Martha on the Mornington Peninsula, which is around an hour or an hour and a half south of Melbourne. It's called Mount Martha Village. It is a smallish village, but sometimes we're classified as Metro Melbourne even, and other times as regional, depending on who's looking at us from a a council-based perspective. In a traditional sense, we're actually Bunurong Bunurong country, which is really important too. We live here, we work here, we play here, and importantly, we learn here too. Myself and my wife, three and a half years ago now, started a little business called Etch Sparkling. And Etch stands for Every Time Choose Health. And what we do is make alcohol-free drinks that are adult positioned and they're made from native Australian fruits and herbs. Uh, We started three years ago and we really had a personal lived experience in the alcohol-free space. We saw the market gap in Australia. We saw some trends occurring overseas, particularly in UK and US, and we thought, let's create something we wish existed, and Etch was born. So you've got a background in the wine industry, is that correct? Correct, yeah. So I moved down to the Mornington Peninsula in the mid-1990s to make wine at a uh, small family business down here. And then from there, my career moved into other facets across the wine industry, across Australia, New Zealand and France, from small businesses right through to our largest alcohol companies around the world. So I expanded a 23-year career in the wine industry and this is really a part of our lived experience for us as to why we created our business. 20 years into my wine industry career, I had a pretty reasonable relationship with alcohol, meaning that it was a part of my life. It was my work, Monday to Friday. And then in Australia, as we all know, it's the social element too. It's in our sporting clubs. It's at our dining experiences. It's um, in all facets of our life, celebratory, commiseration, all that sort of thing. My relationship changed with the product that I loved and I started to self-medicate to help get to sleep at night, instead of one glass of wine, I might have had two or three. And instead of going from a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, for example, 
then started being Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday and ended up being every night. I'm a runner. I love running, trail running, long distance running. And so even through my drinking and heavy drinking phase, I still ran because my accountant side brain was thinking debit credit. If I go for a 10K run, I can have some wine. <laughs> so after 23 years, it got to a point of a very dangerous point where one of the absolutely lucky ones that myself and my wife, Andy, had a, you know, those tough conversations of, righto, this is a problem. What are we going to do about it? We need to make some changes. And uh, we did. A few years ago, I remember doing FebFast with a friend and I tried a couple of no alcohol wines and they were horrendous. And stupidly, I don't even know why I went for the no alcohol wine, like it was actually going to replace it or something. But I've been noticing recently that non-alcoholic beer is actually not bad. There's mock spirits now. There's all of these options. And I feel like, you know, obviously there's a lot of research and a lot of anecdotal evidence that the lockdowns and the pandemic caused a lot of that self-medication and that reliance on alcohol that you just talked about. Do you think that's had something to do with this rise in the availability of these drinks or were you already seeing that? Yeah, it's a great question. In 2017, when we went through our change, I was in a rehab facility and looking at different career options about what are we going to do next? Can't make wine anymore. Can't be building wine businesses and brands. What are we going to do? And we're foodies. We love going out. We love socialising. We go to restaurants. One of the interesting stats back then was published by the Australian government and it was showing that consecutively, year on year, that just over 20% of the Australian population above 18 hadn't consumed alcohol in the prior 12 months. That's an enormous percentage and number of people. And at that time I thought, I've never met one of those one in five. I don't know who they are. But now that when I think about it and now that I'm in in this space, absolutely, people who potentially might be pregnant or are from a different religious background or cultural background or medication purposes, health and wellbeing. And then we get down diving into Generation Z and, and the millennials. They have a very different relationship to alcohol than what boomers and exes do. If that's true, how many shopping or purchasing occasions are there in our life where 20% of the beverages available are alcohol-free for those 20%? Think about your restaurants, your wine lists. Well, they're called wine lists for starters. Is there 20% available Retail purchasing occasions, grocery store, liquor shops. So we saw that gap and thought, nah, that is blue sky. That is open space for quality growth. And you mentioned some quality challenges early on, and yellow degraded has been some challenges, but the industry's stepping and stepped up. And the quality of the alcohol-free drinks now across beer, wine, and spirits is incredible. Uh, there's a certain spirit brand that won an award in America that did a blind submission and took out the alcohol category. Uh, Then we have, you know, obviously the beer brands are huge and wine's coming a long, long way. We've purposefully not replicated wine or an alcohol category because we wanted to be a little bit more courageous and say, we don't believe it has to look or replicate or mimic a particular style to be a quality adult drink. We just wanted to represent Australian native flora in a new way that's sophisticated, sugar-free, but with great aromatic structure, great palate structure that matches to food 
can be consumable and can be Moorish and just sing in a nice glass. I want to talk then about the native ingredients that you're using. Really interesting flavours. There'll be a lot of people who listen to this who have never tried your drink, so I will definitely put all the links in the show notes. But how did that all come about and who have you been working with to to get those flavours together? This story goes back to my wellness change. My father organised some bushwalks with a local First Nations man named Lionel Louch and he is our morning cultural leader that his business is called Living Culture and it's about educate, empower and engage. So he's keeping First Nations culture alive through sharing and he's, you know, appropriately and where can uh, knowledge to everyone. Um, and it's a wonderful thing that he does. Lionel took me on some men's walks and that was around just the mental health side. And we went for these bushwalks down these trails that I'd run on many occasions and just run past these plants that I had no idea what I was running past. But when I went with Lionel, he was just chatting and we were eating the whole way down. And it was fascinating to listen to him say, well, here's the medicinal properties of this plant, or here's the vitamin contents of this plant, and here's how we would traditionally use this plant. And it just blew my mind that it was under our nose the whole time since, I guess, the 1800s we've bypassed that. We've looked at we, meaning, I guess... Brought in modern Australia just hasn't taken an uptake to that knowledge yet. We're just starting to pay respect and listen to the custodians of what's been here for 40, 50, 60,000 years. Yeah, it's crazy. It is really interesting. I've been on a similar walk and it is absolutely incredible how many times you can stop and there's something that you can eat or there's something that you can use. There's so much out there that we just have no idea. I know Australian natives in terms of botanicals are becoming quite popular and have been for a while, but, yeah. So it's a, shit, a lot of chefs have been starting to use it and promoting it. Now the mainstream television programs that are using, and that's been wonderful too to hopefully make them pantry or household items. So from, from there, that was the two key insights. So back in 2017, we had the insights of this opportunity of the alcohol-free space. Then we had this new learning of native Australian flora and the thought bubble of how can we use our skills in the beverage-making space to help share appropriately and with permission and in the right way this knowledge to help build this, in, to, to be a part of this industry. Chicken and egg, how do you make it a pantry item unless you have a brand. How do you have a brand unless you've got the back-end infrastructure to to actually supply it? Our space is in that front-end piece. From there, we've then had to reverse engineer the connections between, okay, who's the grower? How do we get that resource? How is that resource authentic? How do we make sure the quality is right, the consistency, et cetera, et cetera, and then connect that, those dots, to be where we are today and in a position that, the industry can then leapfrog into the next phase of development. So where are you sourcing your ingredients from? Obviously not just from your local region. Are you you sourcing from all over Australia? On our journey, we then met some wonderful people from across each state. And so what we've done then is thought from a consumer lens, how can we take people on a journey? 
and knowing the preferred fl- pr- flavour profiles that people enjoy of lime, lemon and lime, of plum and berry and, say, orange flavours and different types, we thought, all right, if we can take people on a relatively safe journey that the drink's going to taste sort of like this, but it's going to be built with the infrastructure of native flora, then we know that we're going to land on something that people will enjoy. So so I guess from that, we had that flavour lens, right? And then we've gone and coupled that with another layer of a state lens. So these drinks, they're not only built in a certain flavour, but they're endemic to these particular states originally. And so, for example, we have a finger lime lemon myrtle, which is sourced from the northern areas of New South Wales. Then from Queensland, we have Davidson Plum and we blend that. That's quite a bitter and tart flavour profile. So we blend that with uh, strawberry gum eucalypt. From South Australia, we're celebrating the Quandong, which is originally from around the Flinders Ranges area. From the cool climates and Gippsland and from Tasmania, you'll find the mountain pepperberry. And so we've blended that with raspberries. Uh, from Northern Territory, bush apple and kakadu plum. So we can have a little bit of a tasting of Australia in, in, in one range. And all of this knowledge, I guess, was, hey, nothing's new, right? I've just pinched a lot of this theory from the wine industry that you can go to a dinner and have a drink and talk about the vintage or the single vineyard or the whatever. And I wanted to bring some of that into this space. So on one level, hopefully, they're just simply a nice drink. And if that's all you get out of it, great. But if you want to dive into it, it's like, hey, this is from this region of northern New South Wales and this is the attributes of this plant and this is blah, 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 vitamin C and you know, health and benefits and, you know, just having depth. Yeah, I like that. And also too, if you're not drinking alcohol and people want to know why, maybe that takes the conversation in a different direction. And you can say, when you bring a six pack of etch to a party, for example, and you put it in, people go, oh, what's that? You know, yeah. You actually can then have a conversation if you've looked into it and maybe that will detract from the fact that, oh, my God, it's not alcohol. It's a nice idea. I didn't realise that they were state-based like that. Yeah, I mean, there's plants that grow elsewhere, but that's, the I guess, a part of the story about saying, hey, here's the origins. And from a sustainable agricultural perspective, it also leans on the whole land management and water management of minimal pesticide use and plants surviving on local rainfall, local soils, those sorts of things just help as well. I think I probably started following you around about the time you launched, which doesn't feel like it was that long ago. Sounds to me like it was a pretty quick situation. If you were thinking about it in 2017 and here we are, and I mean, I can get etch in quite a few places around where I am, but I'm seeing through your social media, I'm seeing it pop up in restaurants. I'm seeing it pop up all over the place. So it feels like it's been a really fast trip. Was that because you had good contacts? Do you think that it's good marketing? Because it is, but yeah. Tell us about how you got there. I know you do some markets. Was that part of your success, getting people to taste? Yeah, well, I mean, farmers, farmers market, tastings, getting product in people's mouths really important. So thanks for the observation. Like marketing, though, it's, it, we might appear a little bit bigger than what we are. That uh, Cool Karma collected on top, but I'll tell you what, we're kicking pretty hard under the water. I mean, it still feels to me very much like it's a family business, and I love that you keep returning to that and you keep reminding people and your family are present. So I think that's a really lovely message that definitely comes through in your marketing. Commercialisation is important. You need to put fuel in the car and, you know, and food on the table. But the two key words I was just going to say, authenticity and provenance, and I think that's from a brand perspective, 
you know, we're not the cleverest marketers out there. We certainly don't have the deepest pockets and we're playing in a space that's incredibly competitive with global players. So if we're successful, we will be mimicked and beaten on every aspect very quickly. The only competitive edge we've got is authenticity and provenance and that's all we can keep doing. And I think people relate to that, the fact that we do post pictures of the dog and the kids packing six packs ready for the market tomorrow in Bendigo and all sorts of things, you know. I actually have a lot of situations when I'm working with people when they're starting out and they feel like it's really important to appear bigger than they are. And sometimes they'll come to me and they'll say, oh, I've started this business. I've got this product and I don't know why it's not moving. I don't know why I'm not growing. I don't know why people aren't responding. And quite often I'll, I'll have a look at what they're doing online or in social media and I'll say, where are you? You're an artist or you're a creator or you've created this product. And they say, oh, but if I show myself, then I'll look small or they'll refer to themselves as we and try to make out that they're bigger than they are. And I actually think in a lot of cases, that's the wrong way to go about it. It's like a lot of people think it's not okay to get started. But in fact, when you start, that's when you get all the support. That's when you have that chance to build community and to get people to buy in if you hide behind this idea that you're bigger than you are, then you miss out on that chance to have people care about you and want to support you and connect with you. So we're relatable, communicate, we're real. But yeah, it's a real brand. I'm just reading that book by Phil Knight again from the guy who started and owns Nike. And he talks about the same thing around the early days of just connection and having cultivating those initial database of people. And that's all we do, whether it's social media or tastings or availability. It's just being real. You know, I feel like another thing that I'm noticing more and more, and and perhaps it is that moving into February, which is traditionally seems to have become that that month when everybody gives up alcohol. (laughs) But I'm seeing more and more sobriety coaches. and, And one of the areas that I seem to be seeing it more and more, and perhaps that's just the space I'm in, but is in that rural and regional space, there seems to be a lot of people work in a space where they're trying to help people in rural and regional communities get through alcoholism, get through that dependence. And I know that there's a fair bit of research out there that shows that people in in those communities are more likely to drink more frequently and to excess more than their urban counterparts, I think. And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I know you've been working on some collaborations in that space to try and increase awareness of not only your drinks, obviously, your business, but also to increase awareness of your message. You just mentioned some challenges between regional and metro Australia and certainly statistically there is some challenges there in variables. For males, for example, again, I'm drawing upon Australian government resources here, the Health and Wellness Institute, the men in metro areas are 21% likely to exceed lifetime alcohol use guidelines. In inner regional, it's 28% and outer regional, 37%. Women, it's 8 10 and 12. So there's a consistent trend between metro use and then regional use. And whether that's because the pub is the centre of the town's business, it's the centre of the town's sporting association, it's the social. The pub is where stuff gets done in Australia and that then has some of these impacts. Then you look at the health side, you go in metro, there's a greater percentage of people getting help than regional on a 
per hundred thousand person basis. It's so you've got this conflict there of higher use and less help. In regional Australia, you haven't got the same health resources. There's this lack of anonymity, and these could be some key items that prevent people just reaching out and getting some help. What's happened is that there's been some incredible work done by people such as Sober in the Country, Shanna Wan, and then some of the sober coaches you just talk about, developments of people like rural sobriety that put themselves out there and utilise the benefits of technology so it debunks the, and the anonymity piece. You can tap into this Australia-wide network on the internet at home and then the resources are brought from online to get help and, of course, coupled with then links into your GP and then into other support services. So we've certainly tried to, again, authentically and not as a commercial brand, to, it's a fine line, we're not pushing our product. We want to be as an option. So for people like me who have pushed the envelope too hard, it's very risky to go drinking alcohol-free replicas because they can be a trigger. And so what we do is our role of having good alcohol-free drinks that don't replicate a calorie means we're safer to help people on that journey as a tool combined with medical help, psychological help, peer group help to integrate back into as you're going through your change. So tell us about some of these collaborations that you are working on or have done. Well, Sober in the Country is probably one that we were really passionate about one because Shanna and Flip and Nolene just do, and, and all of, she's just done some such fantastic work. She's been recognised, the team have been recognised last year when Shanna was nominated as Australian of the Year Regional Hero for New South Wales. She's starting off a low base. She comes off from a lived experience too, but she's built this thing called the Bush Tribe. So that's for people across the country that's completely anonymous and it's just a community now of people helping each other to get through and become well. And the impacts are just fantastic in the stories and it's a wonderful collaborative group. So if anyone needs some help, just jump onto soberinthecountry.org and you can follow some links for yourself or your loved ones to, to get help there. So we certainly work, help Shanna just, you know, how we can by providing options to people. So let's take it back to the products for a second and just thinking about our listeners out there, if they're working on something, what are some of the key learnings that you've had in building this brand? Key learnings, yeah, gosh, every day is a learning, right? It's just having agility and flexibility. We've got some core values that we haven't strayed from since we started writing the business plan alcohol-free, sugar-free, celebrating Australian native fruits and herbs and not replicating an alcohol category because they're really clear. It's allowed us to make right decisions to say, hey, does that point to this? Does that point to that? If it's a no, then it's a cull. So having a really clear baseline and then being agile in other areas. So gosh, small business, right? You, you wear your accountant's hat, your sales hat, your brand hat, your digital hat, your delivery, your logistics hat, your procurement, your production Having skill sets in each of those areas obviously is integral to make sure you have a knowledge in each and can execute each at the right cost base with the right consumer and customer pool at the other end to make sure it works. For us, our business is about 50% wholesale and 50% direct to consumer. So those outlets that you mentioned are really important to us because that's our availability. Everyone's not going to go and buy a full box of drinks off a website. So to have availability at your corner store is really important. But for us, cultivating that direct relationship with people and having a fan base and adding value to their lives and being in their, their fridges for the Friday night 
cheese platter or whatever it is, is really important to us too. Those touch points from a D2C perspective are across yeah, your email marketing, whether it's your farmer's markets, whether it's your social media, your Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever. They're all really important to have that funnel into your fans and then being relatable to them. So learnings for us is just getting that right balance and we've made mistakes, still making mistakes, but I think if we can fail fast is what I'm trying to get better at. Just keep the fundamentals correct, failing fast and making changes, e.g. freight costs. Cost of living is impacting everyone and cost of doing business is impacting everyone. Well, how does that, that then impact your supply chain and your route to market? So what worked a year ago probably doesn't work now. All of these sort of things, you just need to have a bit of a, you know what your end goal is, but the dots in between probably has to change in those, in those circumstances. Yeah, I can imagine, particularly as you grow and become more known and more popular across the country, it is going to be harder and harder to manage that. If someone in the Northern Territory decides they want to buy a box of the drinks, then obviously that's going to cost a lot more to ship than doing it locally. And you do have to have that consistency, don't you? I think one of the things that I find time and time again when I'm talking to people in regional areas is the cost of transporting anything is crazy. And I know a lot of people struggle with the sustainability element of that. And they might want to put their product in glass jars or glass bottles. But the fact is that adds a stack of weight and also makes it much more difficult to ship. Are you still doing, you're still doing glass and cans? Yeah, we do. For the reason of the table proud, being table proud is really important to us so that you can feel Confident that, you know, when you're going to a dinner party, if someone puts on a Barossa Shiraz or a Adelaide Hill Sauvignon Blanc, that you can put on a nice looking alcohol free option as well. And you feel put it on there. That's very important. Just feeling pride, I guess, in what you're bringing to the table. Glass has been really important for that aspect for us from a marketing perspective. But yeah, what, what's transpired, we developed cans for a couple of people and they've just proven to dispel our myth of glass over cans as cans have proved very popular. Cans are great for around the pool. They're great to take camping. Chill down, less weight. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of wine coming from the wine industry probably horrifies you, but a lot of wine is turning up in little cans as well. So it feels like that's definitely something. Yeah. I really love that idea of the feeling proud about what you're drinking because it's very pretty. Your brand, your bottles, your labels are very pretty as well, which obviously is something that's pretty big in the wine industry as well. A lot of people buy wine purely based on how pretty the label is. If they well, don't know what they're doing. Talk about related wells, nothing, nothing's really new. We just, we just observe different categories, what they do well and try and apply it into this new space. So whether it's the balance between masculine and feminine look of a black label versus a white label or bringing in the elements of art, colour, all these sort of things is just borrowing what other people do well to try and evolve it and push it into a new space. Where did you actually launch? How did it start? So within our peers and business peers, I've got a couple of key partners that I went to first and just floated the idea past to say, hey, are we off on the wrong tangent here or what do you reckon? One of them was an on-premise venue, um, a, a very successful restaurant down here on the Mornington Peninsula. And the other one was our local IGA network called Richie's. 
and they've got a good presence across Australia from Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland. And so therefore I was able to get a bit of a two different perspectives on this whole alcohol-free space. So I bounced it off those two guys and the resounding feedback was, yeah, you're onto something here, go for it. And so both of them gave us wonderful support and then that just gave enough of an encouragement to go, you know what, all right, we'll sink the mortgage onto this, we'll sink the kids' school fees into making some product and give it a crack and we did and they're still our customers today and both of them have now expanded their range in the alcohol free space and that's just then flowed on from there that was from a wholesale perspective from a direct consumer perspective we really went down the path of cultivating a database and that database was via digital edms Facebook, Insta, but also farmer's markets because I think there's nothing more important than getting product in your mouth. And so by having a farmer's markets across Bendigo, Ballarat, Warragul, Metro Melbourne, it gives gets the old man out of retirement. He gets to, you know, we've got a couple of set up, etch setups. He goes and has a chat to people across the different markets. We go and do it. And so it's just a matter of you get direct feedback for one and, and you can apply that into your business. And then it also benefits those other outlets to say, hey, you've enjoyed the drink here today. We're also available at this grocery store or at this retail outlet or at this local winery or cafe or distillery, etc. And those are the ongoing benefits from that. I love it. Thank you so much for talking with me today. It's just been it's been great. I'm in Inverloch at the moment. Are you in the are you in the local supermarket here? We're in the food works. The, in the yeah, food down there because yep. now I'm thirsty. Yeah, wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> it's just been really lovely of you to share your insight, to be so generous with your time. I really appreciate it. And, oh, welcome, um, America. I hope I've inspired something, in some, whether it's health and wellness or entrepreneurialism or investigating where we're from. We did go back and forth a little bit before we had this conversation about which angle to take, you know, because you do have your foot in two camps here. One is that you have this product, you have this successful brand, and the other is that you have this incredible message and and are really pursuing that wellness journey not only for yourself. You're sharing that with other people. So I think they're I think we've managed to blend those two things in a short interview. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> I could have kept chatting to Jason all day. He's also inspired me to give FebFast a crack this year, which will be starting a day or so after this episode airs. So if you're doing it, send me a message and we can support each other. Thanks for listening. And please head to the show notes to find out more about Etch and all of the things that we talked about today. And you know, I love to hear from you. So send me an email to smalltownbusiness.pod at gmail and tell me a little bit about you and your business and what's happening in your part of the world. Take care. Small Town Business was recorded on the lands of the Gunai Kurnai, and I would like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Big thanks to Chris at Jetstreamer for production and editing support. I'd be talking into a tin can without you. Don't forget to subscribe or follow, and if you like what you hear, please write a review to help me reach more people. Thanks for listening. 